Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. There was a new thing happening between the believers. It was different from what they were all used to. You see, Peter had been healing the sick. He'd been speaking to the religious leaders. And he was not afraid to confess who his master is. And when Jesus ascended into the heaven not long ago, a new thing happened. The disciples became bold. Because of this new boldness that they now have, thousands were coming to the faith. And it would seem that every time that one of the disciples spoke, a new soul would find its way home. These new souls were collectively assembled and they developed a new thing called church. There were no blueprints. There was no history, no precedence on how to do this thing called church. But they quickly got the idea. All the believers, the scripture says, were in one heart and one mind. They started to share their possessions with anyone in need. The disciples continued to to speak about the resurrection of Jesus and God's grace was upon them in this new church. It was even reported that not one, not a single soul, it says in the scripture, was in need among them. Some of the members even sold their own houses and their own property just so that the church could distribute the earnings among the poor. There was a strong concern for others. And the church became a collaboration between its members to care for those who were in great need. For not having any blueprints, this really was a a pretty good place to start. The people were fair, they were loving, they were caring, but like most good things, it wouldn't last forever. Let's pray. Father, we just pray now that as we dive into your scripture and into your word, that your gospel truth be spoken that the revelation and evidence of whatever my study is, is spoken from you. And now, Lord, anything I say that isn't true, to correct me, Lord. Father, I give this time to you for you to teach your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, our scripture this morning, what we're looking at, is, uh, starts at a crossroads for the church. It really, they were kind of hitting an interesting spot. You see, by this time... They have, right now, the church has already have, received their commission. They are living in community. They are adhering to the command. These are the things we've talked about the last three weeks. But they seem, at this moment in time, to be struggling 
with this collaboration idea. Now, the story I just opened up with was found in Acts chapter 4. If we traveled just two measly chapters, just a couple of little chapters down, we see that the church is having to deal with something that it has never had to deal with before. It's still kind of new. We're kind of figuring this thing out as we go. So far, it's been pretty good. Everyone's selling everything, and we're having a pretty good time. Now, some can say, just in two chapters, that we can claim that the good old days of the church are already done. Because for the first time, they are going to have to deal with internal corruption, disputes, and possible divisions. You see, you give a good thing to man, and we always seem to find a way. A way to still prove that we are human and we are not God. It's very important to remember that. The scripture starts, particularly in chapter 6, with very positive news. It's actually a very positive thing. It says there in the first verse, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Now I'm going to say, this is a very powerful statement. Right here at the very beginning, it says that they were still increased. This means that as problems started to rise within the church, the numbers continued to grow. They were still growing. It didn't stop. It didn't slow down. This is a clear indication that the church was very organized. It was very focused. It had a very uh, goal-driven. They knew what they were supposed to be doing. They knew the mission. It kept us focused on the main thing the whole time. They even knew, when we read scripture over and over again, they even knew how many souls were being saved. They were keeping stats and turning them in. They knew exactly how many souls were being saved. They had specific places and times that they would designate as meetings. They even collected money and goods which were distributed to those who were in need inside the church. And sin was being confronted on a regular basis. See, all these things combined indicate that the church wasn't some disorganized, loosey-goosey operation. It was very well thought out, very well planned, spirit-led, of course. But it was organized. They knew at least when I was reading this, I felt this way, that they knew that they were writing the blueprints for the church for the rest of us, and they took that pretty seriously. But a new problem was coming to light. We haven't got to that part yet in chapter 6, but there was a new problem developing inside the body of the church. You see, one group felt that the other group was getting favored treatment. It's a good thing this only happened once in the church. You know, it's just the one time, and then we can read about it, right? We learned it. We're done. Now you see here in Acts 6, we got one group who says the other group is getting favored treatment. So the scripture says this. The Grecian Jews, or the Greek, Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrews. Because the widow, their widows were being overlooked 
and the daily distribution of food. Interesting. So the Greek Jews were complaining that the Hebrew Jews were getting better treatment when it came to food distribution. Now I'm going to tell you this, that when I was reading this and looking and analyzing it, there is no question that an act of what this is, what is taking place right here is what we would call today, we gave it a name, and what we would call that today is racism. That's what was happening. You see, those people get better treatment than those people. This was already stirring up. And I know what you're saying. Oh, there's no possible way that that was already happening this early in the church. But you see, you're reading the same thing I'm reading. Is that we were looking at each other on the outward side and saying, you get better treatment than I do. Now, they're both Jews. They both said that. They're both Jews, but they're from different regions. And immediately, when something didn't go right, they divided into tribe mentality immediately. You and me. Now, the Hebrew Jews here, if you look at who they are and what their culture is and all that stuff, they tended to regard, in my study, they found that they tended to regard that the Greek Jews, those guys over there, they kind of held them as unspiritual and other compromisers within their, as they would say, their contemporary Greek culture. And then the Greek Jews, they regarded the Hebrew Jews kind of as those holier-than-thou traditionalists that like it this way. Now let me tell you what it actually is. So we can do this all the time. We can point this way and point this way. But let me tell you what it actually is. This has Satan written all over it. That's what this is. Ever since the church came into existence, Satan has been trying to take it down, trying to stop it, trying to eliminate it, trying to find it that is no longer relevant, that this was a bad thing, a bad idea. He's been trying to take it down. Now, so far in Scripture, he has attempted to do that on many different fronts, but most of them have been on the outside. He's tried intimidation. Fear of going to prison. Fear of death. He's tried everything from the outside. But you see, but nothing seems to be working. Nothing seems to be getting there. It's slowing them down. The church was still growing. More and more were coming to know Jesus. Now, this reminds me of, a, of an old army story I once heard about a Canadian officer. I know we got a few of those here. I was looking this way, Max. I was looking over here. You see, there's a story of a Canadian officer from long ago. That this officer, every week, would go on Wednesday outside of the pub district there in his little town. And what he would do is he would go and stand on the sidewalks. And as men and women went into the pubs, he would just stand there and would tell them about Jesus, to come and know who he is. And he would do this every single Wednesday to preach Jesus in this area of town. Well, I will tell you, the pub owners decided they had enough of this guy. He's bad for business. They were sick of him showing up. So one day as this officer was in his office, a letter came in the mail. And once he opened it, the letter read, 
that if you come back next Wednesday, it'll be your last. And so upon reading the letter, the officer himself decides that he was going to draft his own letter, but to his divisional commander. And he sat down and he wrote that this letter is to inform you that this corps may be in need of an officer come next Wednesday. <laughs> and he went. You see, there was a time when the only thing that stopped the Salvation Army from advancing the gospel was death itself. Now today, it only takes paperwork. And understand that I'm preaching that sermon to me because I'm the officer. We've given much less and stopped greater work for way much less. You see, the early church was the same. Identical to the same. That the only thing that could stop it was death itself. And it turns out the disciples weren't as afraid of that as Satan had hoped. So in Acts chapter 6, we see Satan moving to a new strategy that, by the way, he still uses today to divide and conquer from within. Now it's important, absolutely important to remember that though we call them in Scripture, we, we use the titles Greek and Hebrew, and we use those all the time, left and right in Scripture. What is really important is that all of these individuals are Christians. They are followers of Jesus. They have accepted the blood and redemption of salvation, but yet they still identify separately as Greek and Hebrew. Now, I will tell you this. Their reasoning, when I was reading through this and looking through, their reason on why they're upset is actually a noble cause. It is one of great, it is one to be concerned about. The cause isn't the issue. That's not what's happening in Acts chapter 6. No one would agree and say, you know what, we probably shouldn't feed the widows. I don't think the church should do that. No, no, that, that, that's not the issue here. The cause is one of noble. They, of course, are concerned for their widows. You see, at this time, Christian widows were having a particularly difficult time in Israel. You see, what was supposed to happen is that if you are a widow, there was a certain time and day of the week that you would go to the temple to go and get food, to get help, to get... It was kind of like going to the Salvation Army, I suppose. You would go there and they would give, distribute to you what you needed. The problem is, is that ever since this Jesus guy came, the church started growing. Those who openly professed Jesus as the Messiah, the temple stopped distributing to him in hopes that they would shut down this Jesus nonsense. That they would turn, based on their human need, back to the old way. And so, the church stepped up, is what I read. Stepped up and said, then we will feed our own widows. We will take care of them. And so now, this is why the church took it upon themselves to support the widows. But what seemed like a really good idea, listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm sure there are a lot of committees that said that was a good idea. 
but it's now causing division. Now, I know you, none of you know what I'm talking about. Let me show you. Let me, let me bring you in on this. You see, this type of, uh, uh, of division, this, type, what, this scenario that we're looking at right here, this is Satan's playground. This scenario is Satan's playground. We have to be aware of that. He loves, he loves to use unintentional wrongs to begin a conflict. Unintentional wrongs. You see, the Hebrews were probably right in their hearts that the Greeks were not being intentionally left out of the food distribution. And the Greeks were probably right that their facts did show that some of their widows did not receive food. Neither one of these parties are wrong. But this sort of thing happens all the time. All the time. When two parties are divided over a misunderstanding or an unintentional act. It happens still to this day. And when this happens, this creates the perfect conditions for a split. Or, quite honestly, the better word for it would be a divorce. That this is the perfect environment, a storm, that would create a divorce within the church. So, the question is, what did the apostles do about it? Do they just say, all right, let's sweep this under the rug here and let's, uh, let's try this a different way. You know? No, no, no. What did they do? Well, let's see. It tells us. The scripture says, so the 12, yeah, the 12, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. Hmm. Brothers, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So what did they do? What did the disciples do in this conflict? They created here in Acts chapter 6 a new, brand new, hot off the press position within the church. One that we still use today, by the way. Right here in Acts 6 is the very first time that we see the position of deacon being created before our eyes. Deacons are men and women who are anointed by the leader to help them oversee the day-to-day -day of the church. Now, this, however, we cannot, uh, when we look at the creation of the deacon and we look at all this scripture, we cannot, don't, don't breeze by the actual appointing of them. The 12, and I just say, yes, the original 12, minus one, we added one along the way, Matthias, he's in there now, but 12, they're right now getting together. They put their heads together and they saw what was happening before their eyes. They saw that Satan was trying to take down the church from within. They knew that they had to keep their eyes and their heads on the outward stuff. They knew that that was the ploy. That was the trick. 
things like preaching and praying, the things that were going into eternal salvation. And Satan wanted them to be distracted, to neglect it, so that we dealt with this, the human side of us. They felt, particularly when I was reading this, that it was specifically wrong for the 12. For them at that time, at this day and age, for that purpose, they felt it was wrong for them to go and turn their focus from evangelism to internal affairs. Now, I read quite a few books on this. I was looking around going, okay, that is like, that's the gift of delegation if I've ever seen it, you know, as far as going, here, you guys deal with that. And some have made even believe that this is evidence of a superior attitude among the original 12. That they could easily just say, you know what, I shouldn't be really bothered with these issues. Can you, can you guys just figure it out and just make this work? We're, do, we're doing big stuff over here. But I'm going to tell you that I don't think that's what it was. I don't think the disciples looked at that and said, that's not worth my time. Because then they'd be saying, you're not worth my time. But instead, I think they were intentional in delegating this responsibility so that it could be handled properly and still allow the church to be a place of redemption, even once you come in. You see, the church isn't redemption when you're just out there and say, we could tell you all about Jesus. It's a place of redemption when you come in and you've been here for 50 years. And you still call on the name of Jesus. But let me tell you, if you're not in the church now, maybe you're not a believer. You see, the image of the church is that we like to kind of tear down our own from within. That's not the church. That is not God. That's Satan dividing us. That is not the church. And don't be fooled that it is. I think it is absolutely important to recognize that God did not, he did not call the 12, the original disciples, to be all things, everything to the entire church. I really believe that his calling on those 12 individuals was to go and make disciples of all nations. And they saw firsthand, these 12, at least 11 of them, saw firsthand the power of Jesus. And they had a duty to spread that word around. They are, they are the first eye account of the gospel. Their stories must be told, and they have evidence that Jesus can save you. This was their mission. This was their calling that Jesus placed on them. And I'm going to tell you this, is that God has and will continue even today to raise men and women outside of the pastor, outside of the leader up here, to go and serve with integrity and serve the church in its times of need. The church is not me. It's not my position. The church is you. It's us. 
And I do believe wholeheartedly that you do not need a seminary degree to go and tell the world about Jesus. You see, we all here, all of us together, are the church. I may be the one that sits down and writes the sermon every week, but I know I'm not the one that has a story to tell, the only one that has a story to tell, because Jesus has done amazing things for all of us, and still is. And so here we are. In Acts chapter 6, we see the church developing its first umbrella. With the disciples preaching, spreading the word, and the deacons now helping with the internal affairs of the church. These new deacons, by the way, were going to be given the responsibility as the scripture states, of serving tables. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Okay, I wasn't the only one. All right. How they said that they have to be focused on the preaching and teaching and praying, but not serving tables. That got me. What in the world were they talking about? So I dove in. You see, the term table here, when it's actually properly translated... That's where I always go. It's like, what did they mean in that language? But it's properly translated, was not referencing a table that would be a place to eat, a meal or sharing a meal on or waiting a table. But instead, this table was a place where money changers did their collecting and exchanging of money. That's what, that's what was tra uh, translated. So by using this term, serving tables, what the disciples were actually saying was that the new deacons would oversee the handling of the administration and financial responsibilities of caring for the widows. And so the 12 kind of announced this idea to the church. It wasn't small, by the way. There were thousands of them. It said, here's our idea. How about we select seven men to come and do this job? And so they, I can probably hear the, the murmuring, you know, but the scripture says that unanimously the whole church said, good idea. They were all backed by it. Now there's one thing that remains though. Kind of a big deal. How do you select the people? Right? Is there an application? Do you need some education in there in the background? Maybe you got to look good in a suit. I don't know. I mean, what, how do you select the people that are holding this position? Well, the 12 asked the church. This is what's interesting. They came up with the idea. But what they did was that the 12 asked the church, you select them. You do it. And they went. And this is the, the, understand, this is what they did that the 12 went to the two groups that were at odds and said, and you two, I want at the table with this conversation, as Scripture says. That they went to the two groups in conflict to have them suggest men of good character. You see, what they didn't do is they didn't throw out the complainers. Oh, you're just going to complain, ah, right, get out of here. They didn't divide them 
into two different congregations that meet at 10 and the other one meets at 2. One's contemporary, the other one's traditional. They didn't create in an environment to make the unhappy people uncomfortable so that they would leave on their own. You know what I'm saying? You see, it was a spirit of collaboration, a genuine belief you matter. You matter. We're at odds, but this can't be solved. And so, in a spirit of collaboration, the 12 wanted representation. The only requirement, the only requirement for these men was that the new deacons had to be filled with the Spirit and wisdom. That was it. And I spent all these years in seminary. <laughs> See? Be filled with the Spirit and have wisdom. Or in other words, it was based on their character. Not on their skin color, not on their last name, not on their wealth, or even how smart they are. It was solely based on their character. They had to be both spiritually and practically minded. They couldn't be so heavenly minded that they were no earthly good. The church, after this, after they said, all right, now go, go find them. That's what they did. The church, they, they got to work on the selection process. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us how they did that, how long it took to do that, if they had obstacle courses. I don't know. It doesn't talk about the process of how they came to the seven. But what we do know is that they in turn gave seven names back to the disciples, to the 12. And so after the disciples vetted the names, verified that these seven individuals were filled with the Spirit, had wisdom, they summoned each one of them before them. And the scripture says that the 12 laid their hands on them and appointed them as the very first deacons of the church. They've been ordained now. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Is that as we get to the end of this little small section of scripture, it does tell us the names of the ones who were selected, which Parker read so well. Because you were right on the money, buddy. But these names, to me, is perhaps the most amazing part of this story is found in the names of the seven men who were selected. You see, their names were Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Lycanor, Timon, Parmeus, and Nicholas. All seven names are Greek. All seven. There isn't one Hebrew that was selected. If you remember, it was the Greeks that were complaining. So this means what we didn't see in Scripture, what took place, is that in the church, including the Hebrews, all together selected 
seven Greeks to serve as the first deacons of the church. This is a no doubt, in my opinion, no doubt, an act of selflessness for the betterment of the entire church. These were the men with the character that the church was needing. Nice try, Satan. You can't have this church. It's not yours. You're going to try to divide us. And I can't even imagine what that conversation was like when they were selecting. Well, I think we should have two. They, these were the men based on character to go serve in this position. Church, I'm going to tell you this. We all are called to be unified. Now, this is not what this isn't saying, is that we can't, don't pretend to be something we're not. We're all different colors. That's, all, that's, a, that's a good thing. I would be very concerned if you all look like me. But let me tell you, is that the church is more powerful when we're unified. You see, the gospel is for all. And it is available to all. Heaven, by the way, will look like the world. It will not be at 10 a.m. this group, and at 11 this group, 1 o'clock this group, but we unify together. So when I look at this word collaboration, yes, I look at, of course, collaborating with our brothers and sisters and other faiths and churches. Of course, I do believe that wholeheartedly. But I'm going to tell you that from within our own body, that we collaborate together from our cultural differences to build one identity as believers of Jesus Christ. That when I go around and I visit many of you, I know that at some houses I'm going to eat fried bananas. You know what I'm talking about. Where are they at? Over there. Yeah, plantains. See, I already messed up. I don't have those. I don't have fried plantains in my house. See, I'm still learning. I know it's got a little rice and chickpeas. See, I'm there. In other houses, I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna eat grilled chicken. I'm gonna have a wonderful, perfect, and I'm gonna mess it up. But I will tell you, is that I pray that heaven's on earth now. We can experience it now. So, church, here is my challenge to you today. You see, I'm wrapping up this Our House series. Here is my challenge. Be it if you're online or if you're here in person, there are people within this church, you don't know their name. So you need to go, your challenge from your pastor, find someone you don't know their name, and you're going to go and introduce yourself. Second challenge, have dinner together. Now, I know that's tricky. I don't understand you may not be ready for that. I get that. But I'm just saying, powerful things happen around the dinner table. Powerful things happen. Maybe you have dinner over Zoom at the table with each other and have a camera right there. I do that with Grandma. You know, Granny has a scheduled time. We're getting up. She has a sitting at the table. She's in Texas, but she gets to eat dinner with us. We can do it. Go and know someone's name you don't know. And have a meal together. 
That's my challenge for the end of the series. Father, we pray right now that, God, we just give this message, this word to you. We thank you for your love, for your truth, for your grace, and may we be ambassadors of it. May we be willing to stretch ourselves and to show our, our love for one another. But, Lord, we continue to come and lean on you. We focus on you, Lord, that even though in the internal affairs, things happen, we get, we get upset, things happen, but never, maybe never take our focus off the gospel. So, Father, our house, this house will be a place of redemption of the story and the blood of Jesus Christ. It will be a place where individuals can come and find shelter. It will be a place where people could come and, and find rest when they're tired, find food when they're hungry, Lord that this place will be an altar, not to us, but to you. I want people, when they walk in, when they even just see it on the side of the road, to be filled with a sense of wonder of who God is. So, Lord, I pray that may we be ambassadors of that feeling, of that truth, of that love, and that grace, if we do that by starting within our own selves. So, Lord, hear our prayer today. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.